Let's take our Bibles this morning to the book of Philippians chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verses 6 through 9, Philippians 4, 6 through 9. We've titled this message, Peace of Mind in the Worst of Times. Peace of Mind in the Worst of Times. Now, Paul wrote the book of Philippians during his Roman imprisonment. Uh, that would date it around A.D. 61. At this point, Paul's life has been turned upside down. Think back, uh, you remember Paul had gone to Jerusalem while he was there. There was a situation with the local officials. Uh, he was unjustly accused of a crime that he did not commit. Uh, he was imprisoned. Uh, he uh, was sent to Caesarea. He was in prison there. He dealt with uh, two different governors, Festus and Felix. Eventually, he wanted to uh, plead his case to Caesar as a Roman citizen, and eventually he makes his way to Rome as a prisoner. His life is, like I said, completely turned upside down. Uh, he's now incarcerated. He's no longer free to go where he wanted. He's no longer free to do what he wants to do. And yet in the midst of all of what he is dealing with, Paul makes an interesting statement to the Philippians in Philippians chapter 4, verse 11 and 12. He says, Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry both of having abundance and suffering need. Now, obviously, this was not Paul's first time being in prison. Uh, you'll recall in the book of Acts, there were several occasions when Paul was temporarily imprisoned. Uh, we'll remember the one uh, when he was imprisoned in Philippi. Uh, and what happened? Well, you'll recall that he was imprisoned, and uh, him and Silas, and while they were there in prison... Uh, everybody was asleep, and what were Paul and Silas doing? They were praying and praising God. They were singing hymns from their prison cell. While most people would have been complaining or sobbing or wailing or uh, trying to come up with a plan of escape, uh, not Paul. Instead, Paul sat there, resolved that he was where God wanted him to be, and praised God and prayed to God. Now, after that imprisonment, we know, of course, that God uh, uh, miraculously freed Paul, uh, Paul, used Paul as well as Silas and Luke and others to start the church at Philippi. Now we fast forward uh, several years later, Paul's again imprisoned, uh, this time in Rome, now writing a letter to the Philippians. And he says, I don't speak from want. Now, if anybody had once, it would have been Paul. He's imprisoned. He doesn't get three meals a day in Roman prison. He's dependent on people, on friends, on family members, on other people, bringing food to feed him. And yet he says, I don't speak from want. I've learned to be content in whatever circumstance I'm in. Whether I'm imprisoned or out of prison, I've learned to be content. Whether I'm free to move about or I'm detained, I've learned to be content. I know how to get along with little, that's humble means. I know how to live in prosperity. He says, listen, I've been on top of the game, I've been below. I've had it, I've lost it. And yet, I'm content. Because in every circumstance, I have learned, in the good and in the bad, in the best of times and the worst of times, 
I've learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, of having abundance and suffering need. Notice he says, I've learned to be content. The word content means to have peace of mind. Paul says that regardless of his circumstances, whether good, bad, or indifferent, Paul has had peace of mind. Can we say today that we have peace of mind? Maybe you're sitting here listening to the message and you're thinking, well, really, to be honest, I don't have any peace of mind. My, my thoughts are running here, they're running there, I'm thinking this, I'm thinking that. And yet Paul says, regardless of whether the situation's good or bad, he's learned the secret to having peace of mind. Now, notice that tells us that Paul did not always have peace of mind. Paul did not always have peace of mind. He had to learn peace of mind. And he learned that secret. Now the question is for you and I is what is that secret? What is the secret to having peace of mind? And the secret is revealed to us back in verses 6, 7, 8, and 9. Let's read it. It says, verse 6, Be anxious for nothing... But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there be any excellence, and if there be if anything worthy of praise, Dwell on these things, the things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. The secret to having peace of mind in the worst of times is by praying right and thinking right. And that's our challenge today. Are you praying right? Are you thinking right? Now, you may be thinking, well, I didn't know there was a right or a wrong way to think. I didn't know if there was a right or wrong way to pray. My friends, when we are in bad times, when we are in what we think are the worst of times, when our circumstances are less than what we think is best for us, then it behooves us to examine whether we are praying right, whether we are thinking right, because therein lies the secret to being content. Look at yourself. Ask yourself, am I content in this situation? And if you say, no, I'm not content, and you have to be honest. If you say, I'm not content, I'm troubled, I'm worried, I'm anxious, I'm overwhelmed, I'm thinking this thought, I'm having these thoughts, whatever it may be, then you've got to go back and say, well, I'm not either praying right or thinking right or both. Now, this peace of mind is not some pie-in-the-sky approach to life. It doesn't mean that if you start praying right and thinking right, it doesn't mean that all of a sudden your life is going to be a rose garden. It does not mean that you're not going to endure trying times. fact of the matter is, many Christians before you, many Christians after you, will experience trying times. So just because you pray right and think right doesn't mean you're getting a pass from trying times. Nor does the peace of mind deny the existence of anxieties and worries. Instead, 
It tells us what to do with the anxiety or worry. When you're anxious, when you're worried, when your circumstances are not what you had planned, here's what you can do. Here's how to have peace of mind. And Christians, we can have peace of mind in the worst of times by doing two things. We're going to consider the first one in verse 6. That's praying right. Praying right. Christians can have peace of mind in the worst of times by praying right. Let's read verse 6 again. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Paul repeats the very same command that Christ stated in Matthew chapter 6. Do not be anxious. Now you'll remember from last week, we looked at Matthew chapter 6, three times Christ said, don't be anxious. The first and second time, he was telling them, stop being anxious. The third time, he said, don't start being anxious. Same words being used here. Merimanao, mean to feel powerless, unable to cope with a threatening situation. So we're not talking about normal concerns. We're not talking about normal day-to-day things that we need to be concerned about and take care of. No, we're talking about a feeling of being powerless, helpless, overwhelmed, unable to cope. And Paul repeats this command, be anxious for nothing. Literally, don't feel powerless about anything. Don't be unable to deal with situations I don't care what the situation is, Paul says, don't do it. You know, there's a sense in which the society in which we live demands that we be anxious. We're probably more anxious than any other society in the history of the human race. You know, just think, a few centuries ago, 200 years ago, most people did not worry about anything more than local matters. That was enough. That was sufficient. Medical help 200 years ago, not very impressive. Families lost one or more children. That was the norm. Life was harsh, brutal, and short. Communication with other parts of the world was difficult, most of the time late. Most people gave little thought as to what was going on in the next county, let alone what was going on in the next country or the next continent. Even national news that could have an effect on you was late. That's just 200 years ago. Then came the telegraph, the telephone, the radio, satellites, and on and on. And the results of this greatly improved communication has now placed us in what we hear is a global village. We're all part of a global village. So much so that a shot cannot be fired anywhere in the world and not be reported instantly halfway across the world. If in the opinion of news editors, nothing of greater significance has happened to claim primetime television, the entire episode of the news will be played out, surrounding, centering in on that one piece of information that they've deemed is important. 
And the more information that we collect and the more information, the more news that comes in globally overwhelms us more today than any previous generation in the human history. People are worrying more, having more anxiety. And so the advances in our communications demand that we worry. We worry about peace, worry about economics, we worry about famine, we worry about disparities of wealth, we worry about cultural decline, we worry about civil conflicts, we worry about genocide, and on and on and on. And on top of all of that, now we are, every, everything in our immediate society, every political and cultural problem is constantly being polled, it's being demographically checked, it's being statistically analyzed, it's being paraded into our media, it's being presented on television, and it's overwhelming. The economy changes. Suddenly, very few have permanent jobs. Some have now no jobs at all. And of course, we have to add in the regular parade of pressures, whether that be troubles at home, troubles at work, impending exams, expectations that people that uh, are imposed on us by other people, degenerating families, failing marriages, rebellious children, bereavement, financial insecurity. Pressure mounts. Pressure surrounds us. Pressure bullies us. And then we hear Paul say, don't be anxious about anything. And you probably have muttered to yourself, maybe you've thought this, maybe you even said it out loud or said to somebody else, Paul don't get it. They don't get it. It can't be done. You don't understand. You know, Paul didn't have all the things to worry about that I've got to worry about. Well, I got news for you. It's not Paul's word. He's simply the human writer. It's God's word. God said it. Paul recorded it. And if God said, don't be anxious about anything, then here, my friends, we've got a word from God that tells us it can be done. It is possible for us not to be anxious. Because you need to understand, God has promised that He will not put anything in our path, He will not throw anything at us that He will not provide a way of escape for. So with all the insurmountable anxiety that we have in the world, the global village in which we live, God says, listen, I got it. It's a lot to handle, yes. It may drive you to what you think is your breaking point, but God says, I will not give you more than you're able to handle. Okay, God, that's great. Well, then how do I handle it? Well, look at verse 6 again. There's a little word there, a little conjunction, a little connecting word. Be anxious for nothing but... Well, you don't understand, but... No, no, we do understand. 
Don't be anxious for nothing, but. That little word but tells us, here's what you replace anxiety with. In everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. According to Philippians 4, the way to be anxious about nothing is to be prayerful about everything. The way to have peace of mind is to pray about everything. Now that includes big things, medium-sized things, and little things. In fact, think about it this way. Think about the biggest thing going on in your life that you've got to pray to God about. The biggest thing. Most overwhelming, worrisome, anxiety-driven issue in your life. And I want you to realize this. It is but a small thing compared to your big God. See, in reality, you know, we say, well, you know, do I bother God with the little things? To be honest with you, everything's a little thing to God. Because God's so big. So whether you think it's a big thing or if it's a little thing, a light thing or a heavy thing, we need to pray about everything. You see, prayer, God has given us prayer to combat worry, to combat anxiety, because prayer allows us an emotional release and an opportunity to vent. I just got I just got to vent. Okay, great. So vent to God. I just got to get it off my chest. Well, tell God. I need an emotional release. Well, cry out to God. Because when you and I pray, it allows you and me to offload our stress onto God. That's what Peter talks about when he says, casting all your care upon Him. Why? Because He cares for you. God cares for you. God hasn't abandoned you. God hasn't left you high and dry. God hasn't forgotten you. But maybe God's put you in a place where He needs you to understand that he cares for you. He needs you to come to the place of humbling yourself and saying, I can't, God can. And then cast your care on him. The word casting that's used there, the Greek term, indicates to throw your uh, sack on the back of the donkey. The idea of taking our cares, taking our packages, our luggage, things that are weighing us down, and casting them on the back of God and letting God carry them. There is no request too small, no request too difficult, no request too inconsequential to God. You need to pray about everything in the best of times and more importantly, most importantly, in the worst of times. We need to give petitions. We need to give thanksgiving to God. You see, it may seem impossible not to worry about anything. But Paul explains it is possible if we would truly give our worries to God. Because, my friends, worry and prayer cannot coexist. Now, what is right praying? We said that Christians can have peace of mind in the worst of times by praying right. But what is right 
praying. Well, Paul mentions four Greek words here for prayer, which overlap in meaning, yet are very helpful and important for us to distinguish. Those four words are prayer, supplication, thanksgiving, and request. Again, let's go back and look at verse 6. In everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. So first and foremost, I've got to ask, are you praying? Are you praying? Listen, forget praying right. First and foremost, are you praying? Listen, if you're not praying, you've got no chance at peace of mind. You've got to start praying. Okay, great, now you're praying. Now, let's make sure we're doing it right. Let's make sure that we're praying the way God wants us to pray when we're dealing with worry, when we're dealing with anxiety, when we feel unable to cope, overwhelmed, unable to process. Let's look at that first word, prayer. Now, the first word here for prayer is a general word for prayer. More importantly, this word for prayer is always used with reference to God. It has a nuance of reverence. What it means is that when we pray, we need to understand that we are coming into the presence of the Holy One. We need to understand that we are coming into the presence of a holy God. Yes, God does command us. He invites us. He asks us to come into His presence. In Hebrews 4.16, He tells us to draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we can receive mercy and grace to help in a time of need. But even though you can have confidence, even though you can come with boldness before the throne of grace, even though you've got open access to the heavenly throne of mercy... We need to remember that it's still the throne of the Holy One, the Sovereign One, the Great One, the Mighty One, the Eternal God. That's who we're approaching. And that means that before we approach Him, before we come to find mercy, before we come to cast our cares on Him, we have to examine our hearts. We've got to confess and forsake all sin when we come to God in prayer. Psalm 66 verse 18 says, If I regard wickedness in my heart, the Lord will not hear my prayers. So if we're talking about right praying, right praying begins by approaching God in reverence. That means you're confessing your sin. You're getting anything out of the way that's between you and God. So we've got to approach God the right way. The second term. Supplications. Supplications. Now, this word here gives prominence to the idea of of a sense of need. It's looking at a specific request. So we're we're approaching God in reverence. We're, we're, We're coming and we're confessing our sins. We're getting our we're clearing the air between us and God, and then we're bringing some specific requests to God. You know, someone asked me a while ago, Pastor, why do we pray? If God already knows what we need, why pray? Well, the answer is this. Prayer is not so much for God's sake, but for ours. Prayer is not for God's sake, but for ours. You see, when we pray, we're showing to God our total need for Him. When we pray... It's casting us 
It's putting us in a place of dependence on God. So that as we bring these specific requests to God, we're saying, God, I can't. I'm weak. But I know that you are faithful in meeting my needs. So we've got to come to God confessing and forsaking sin. We come to God in in humility. Saying, Lord, I'm weak. I need help. I need your faithfulness to meet my needs. And then with thanksgiving. Notice our third word, thanksgiving. You know, when you're anxious, when you're in a situation that's giving you cause for anxiety, i got to tell you something. Thankfulness is not spontaneous. When you're in a bad time, when you're in the worst of times per se, thanksgiving is not on the tip of your lip. No, when we're going through difficult days, we're going through the worst of times, thanksgiving has to be a deliberate choice. But my friends, if we can get to the place of thanking God for something when we pray, I'm going to tell you, He promises He's going to give you peace of mind. Well, what am I supposed to be thankful for? Well, you can be thankful for God's supply in the past. Find some blessing, find some way that God has blessed you in the past and praise God for it today. Well, I praised Him already for that. That's okay, praise Him again. Read through the Psalms. The Psalms continually repeat, repeat, repeat the same set of thanksgivings. But over and over again, as they remember God's past dealings, it's brought them peace of mind. We can give thanks for God's sovereignty. You know, the fact of the matter is, regardless of whether politicians, doctors, governors, premiers, kings, magistrates, prime ministers, whoever... Regardless of what they may think or do, they're not on the throne of God. They're not in the throne of heaven. This may catch them by surprise, but I got news for you. God was never caught by surprise. He is never caught by surprise, will never be caught by surprise. He knows all things past, present, future, possible, and probable. And because he's sovereign means he's still in control. God isn't out of control. God didn't lose control. He's still on the throne. Something to be thankful for. We can give thanks for His sufficiency for the future. God is going to be sufficient in the future. Everybody's worried, oh, we're going to have this shortage or that shortage. What about this? What about that? You know, you don't have to worry about that with God. God is never going to run out of blessing. God is never going to run out of wisdom. God is never going to run out of power. God is never going to run out of might. God is never going to run out of anything. He is always going to be all-knowing, all-powerful, all-seeing, all-present, all-holy, all-grace, all-mercy, all-love. He's going to be all those things. And he's never going to cease being those things. And so, my friends, we need to rest on the all-sufficiency of God, knowing that even though we don't see how God's going to do it right now, He is going to meet our every need as we cast ourselves upon Him. And so as we go to prayer, if we're going to pray right, we've got to pray first of all, confessing and forsaking our sin. 
We've got to bring our needs to Him and got to confess, Lord, I can't. I need your help. And thirdly, we've got to come with praise. Don't just sit here and bring your laundry list to God, your grocery list to God, and say, I need, I need, I need. You better be ready to say, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus, and you fill in the blank. And then number four, the fourth word, request. Now this word is very similar to the word for supplication, but it emphasizes the specific nature of the petition. You see, so many times our prayers are vague and general. Well, Lord, just supply what I need. That's, that's general. And I mean, that, there may be a time and a place, but get specific with the Lord. Get specific. Matthew 7, 7. Ask and it shall be given unto you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. Jesus goes on to illustrate the point by saying, listen, if a, if a boy asks his father for a loaf of bread, does the dad give him a stone? No. Listen, if he said, dad, give me something, and the father gave him a stone, okay. He just asked for something. But if the child specifically asked for a loaf of bread, no father in his right mind is going to turn around and give his son a stone. He's going to give him what? That's right, a loaf of bread. If he asks for a fish to eat, the dad don't give him a snake. Now let's go on to verse 11 of Matthew 7. If you then being evil, now he's talking to us, we're evil. If you then being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? See, my friends, we need to bring our request or petitions to the Lord. We need to be specific. You ask the Father, and if it's for your good, He's going to give it. Sometimes, you know, I think we fail to ask because we think, well, that's just too trivial. Or that's too small to trouble God about. My friends, if it's big enough for you to have anxiety over it, if it's big enough to concern you, if it's big enough to worry you, it is certainly big enough to ask God about it. So when is the last time that you prayed explicitly about the things that are troubling you or worrying you or giving you anxiety? Did you specifically tell them to God one by one, laying your burdens on Him? You know, James talks about the fact that you have not because you ask not or because you ask amiss. Some of you aren't asking God. Some of you just aren't being specific. You're asking God, oh, Lord, you know, duh, you know, and it's all vague and not specific. God says, break it down, get specific. What exactly do you need? And if it's for your good, God says, I'll make sure you have it. If we would come to God in regular prayer, we would discover, my friends, God indeed does care. We can have peace of mind in the worst of times by praying right. Now secondly, the other side of this, of having peace of mind in the worst of times, is by thinking right. By thinking right. Look at verses 8 and 9. We'll come back to 7 in a minute. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely... Whatever's of good repute, if there is any excellence, if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Now before we 
break down this text. I just want you to see something here. Notice he says in verse 8, Think on, etc., 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 etc. Dwell on these things. And then notice, the things you have learned. In other words, all the things Paul talks about in verse 8 is what he has learned himself and what he has received and what he has heard and he's passed on to them. Practice these things. And notice, the God of peace will be with you. You see, peace, we talk about peace of mind. Well, peace involves the mind. You cannot have peace of mind without right thinking. Thoughts are very powerful. Proverbs 23 verse 7 says what? As a person thinks, so is he. So if you're thinking negative, guess what? You're going to be negative. If you're thinking positive, you're going to be positive. If you're thinking bad things, you're going to be bad. If you're thinking good things, you're going to be good. As you think, so are you. So if you're filling your mind with all the troubles of the world, then guess what? Your thoughts are going to be troubled. If you're taking in all this, all this information and, and you're just sitting there and you're, you've got watching every newscast and every opinion piece and, you know, listen, opinions, who needs them? Uh, that's the problem. They're opinions. They're men's opinions. They're people's opinions. You know, you can throw opinions out the door. We don't need opinions. You know why? Because we've got God's word. We've got God's word. Now listen, you want to give me facts? That's fine. But I am not going to sit down and fill my thinking with a 24-hour news cycle. Because you know what? All that's going to do is create anxious, worrisome thoughts. I need to think right. And when I think right, I'm going to be at peace. If you've got bad thoughts, wrong thoughts, disturbed thoughts, anxious thoughts, you're going to have unrest and discouragement. Maybe even right now, some of you are just so distressed, discouraged, disturbed, whatever other D word you want to use, because you're just looking at this entire situation. You've got this 24-hour news cycle, whether you're watching it in front of the TV or you're getting it on your internet or whether you're Googling information or however you're collecting all of this data that, by the way, you have no control over. And it just fills your mind and fills your mind and fills your mind that, man, you're just down and out. You're discouraged. You're disturbed. You're depressed. It should come as no surprise that Isaiah said this in Isaiah 55, verse 7. Let the wicked man forsake his ways, let the evil man forsake his thoughts. My friends, we've got to forsake these bad thoughts. We've got to forsake these anxious thoughts, these worrisome thoughts. You see, one of the biggest remedies, I think the, next to prayer, one of the greatest remedies against anxiety is to spend much time thoughtful time, meditative time in the Scriptures. You know, I've had people say to me over the past several years, oh, Pastor, man, I just wish I had time to study. I wish I had the time to get into the Word. Well, what do you think you've got now? You've got time. So with all this extra quote-unquote time you've got, what are you doing with it? Now, certainly I understand there are legitimately those who are working. There are people who are trying to work from home, trying to teach from home, uh, trying to do whatever they need to do from home. And that's good. That's important. We need to pray for them. But for the vast majority, 
We've got extra time because now we're not running here and there. We don't have this extra activity here. We don't have this event going on over there. What are we supposed to do? Let me put the news on. Shut the news off. Oh, let me, let me see what's tw trending on Twitter. Shut the Twitter off. Here's what the Bible says. Think on whatever is true. Think on whatever is true. You want to think right, you've got to think on true things. The word true means true as to fact. True that corresponds to reality. I got news for you. You cannot trust the media. If you didn't know that before, you know it now. Facts are continuously changing. Why? Because they're not bound by truth. Oh, well, he's got his truth and she's got her truth and this one's got their truth. They're trying to conform reality to what they want it to be. I got news for you. God's word is true. God's word does not change. God's word is fact. Jesus says, sanctify them in truth. Thy word is truth. John 17, 17. The only way you're going to know the truth is you've got to steep yourself in God's Word. We ought to know God's Word so well that we automatically run everything we hear through the grid of God's Word. Is that what you're doing? Secondly, you've got to think on whatever is honorable. Think about honorable things. The Word means that which inspires reverence or awe. Something that's worthy of respect. What does that mean for you and I? It means this. It means that we've got to live in light of eternity. We've got to live with, with reverence on our mind. Life is short, folks. Now, I'm not here to hasten that. I'm not, I, I, nobody, I don't think, wants to sign up and say, Hey, I'm ready to check out. But the reality is we shouldn't be fearing it because... Life is short. Oh, we're living in uncertain times. Hello? We've always lived in uncertain times because nobody knows the future. Nobody controls the future. We've always lived in uncertain times. But Christians, regardless of whether the, the, the world thinks it's uncertain or not, the fact of the matter is we ought to be living, thinking on respectable, dignified, reverential things. And that means we live in light of the fact that life is short and on the other side of this life is heaven and hell. And how am I communicating that to a lost world? How am I communicating that to a lost world? There's reverent things that we need to be thinking about. Heaven, hell, God. Salvation, repentance, faith. Third, we've got to think on what is right. Think on what is right. Now the word that's used here is used of God himself. It means righteousness. Our thoughts need to be in perfect harmony with the eternal, unchanging, divine standard of our holy God. As revealed in the Bible. So are your thoughts on God's righteousness? Number four, think on whatever is pure. In other words, think on things that are free from contamination or blemish. This implies purity of motive and wholesome thinking. Again, we find that in God's Word. Number five, think on whatever is lovely. 
Think on whatever is lovely. This word lovely here occurs only here in the New Testament, but it means that which is pleasurable, pleasing or agreeable. In other words, focus on kindness, focus on graciousness. There seems to be a lack of that in our society today. My friends, we ought to be the people setting the example of what it means to be kind and gracious. But you're never going to, you've got to think on those things. Well, where do I find that? Where do I find examples of graciousness? Look at the scripture. Your God has been gracious. Next, he says, think on whatever is of good repute. Think on those things that are of good repute. In other words, Paul is saying here, since there are so many excellent and worthy things out there, focus on them. Focus on the godly virtues. Think on anything excellent or worthy of praise. The word excellent means morally virtuous. It refers to God's attributes or God's deeds. Think about who God is. Think about what God has done. Again, my friends, the more you focus on God, the more you focus on His Word, the less time you're going to have to worry about things you have no control over. And then he says things that are excellent or worthy of praise. The word praise refers to those things that bring God glory. We need to be reflecting on the qualities that stem from God and should be characteristic in our life. And you've got a great opportunity right now to learn more about God than you've ever known. And I'll tell you, as you think on things that are true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, good repute, excellent, praise, worthy of praise. I mean, again, he's telling you to think on God, read his word. If you want to know who God is, if you want to know what God has done, read the Bible, study the Bible, dig into the Bible. As you, do, as you think on those things, you'll become those things. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. So the more you think on praiseworthy things, morally virtuous things, good things of good repute, things that are lovely, pure, right, honorable, and true, those things are going to become evident in your life. Now, this is not some escapist demand to avoid the harsh realities of life. By thinking on these things, though, we are not going to become overwhelmed with the harsh realities of this world. Now, my friends, we, can't necess- we cannot necessarily escape these things. But I do believe we can rightly think about these things. When you catch your mind wandering, you need to change the direction of your thought. You know, and the latest thing I saw was people are wondering if this 5G technology caused this virus. People, please. I'm going to tell you something, Christian. There is no room in the life of a Christian's thinking for conspiracy theories. That's utter garbage and nonsense. Leave that stuff for the science fiction writers. You know why? Because the Bible says think on things that are true. Conspiracy theories don't have a shred of truth in them. So just by nature of the command, you shouldn't be giving yourself over to that kind of nonsense. You catch your mind wandering, change the direction of your thought. Do not allow yourself one conscious moment of such a, 
of, of an anxious thought. The moment you catch yourself, change the course. Start praying. Start thinking. Pray to God. Think on God. And is that possible? Is it possible to think this way? Is it possible to think right? Is it possible to pray right? Yes, Paul says, look at my example. Verse 9, that's what he says. This isn't uh, pride. It's a state that all of us ought to be living in. Paul says, look at me and look at my example. I'm doing it. Do what I'm doing. Pray right, think right. And if we would keep on doing these things... Then what? The God of peace will be with you. The God of peace will be with you. God is the source of peace. Many people today seek to have peace with God without having to deal with God. My friends, if you don't deal with God, you will have no peace. To know peace is to know God. Again, as I said before, it doesn't mean we're going to live a life of, 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 with a rosy garden doesn't mean we're going to be free from difficulties, far from it. But what we're talking about is that when we're in the pressure cooker, when we're going through difficult days, when we're going through the worst of times, we can find rest in God. We can find peace of mind. My friends, Philippians 4 does not deny the existence of anxiety. It simply tells us what to do with it. It does not tell us, hey, if you got the right personality, you can live above the anxiety. No, it says you need to find strength and grace to help in a time of need. And the secret of having peace of mind in the worst of times is by praying right and thinking right. Let's look at Philippians 4.7 as we close. The peace of God which surpasses all comprehension shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. If we would take to heart Paul's words about praying right and thinking right, we will turn from anxiety and we will have the peace of God. And that peace is different than the world's peace. It's the peace that Jesus promised us in John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. Let not your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. He promises to give you peace of mind. And it's not found in positive thinking. It's not found in the absence of conflict. It's not, feeling, it's not found in good feelings or vibrations. It comes from knowing that God is in control. As Romans 5.1 tells us, when you believed, when you, when you came in repentance and faith and received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you had peace with God. But more than having peace with God, God wants to give you peace of mind. You see, His, His peace will surpass all understanding, all comprehension. This is not a natural reaction, folks, to calamity. It's not a natural reaction of sorrow or pain. Such a peace is not self-generated. It only comes as a gift to God to sustain us in a difficult world. Why does God give us peace? Verse 7, Philippians 4 tells us, because He gives us peace of mind to guard our hearts and minds. That word guard there is a military term. It means He surrounds and protects a garrison or city. Now, the 
the city of Philippi was a garrison town, and they were very familiar with seeing Roman guards who maintained watch, guarding the city from outside attack. And so, my friends, God's peace is like a soldier surrounding your heart and mind. That is your emotions and your thoughts. And God's peace, like a soldier, is going to secure your emotions and secure your thoughts against the threatening and harmful outside forces. This is what Peter said in 1 Peter 1 verse 5, Through faith, believers are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. And so I challenge you, friends, resolve not to be anxious about anything, but instead pray right and think right. Nothing will prove so effective in strengthening your spiritual stamina, in giving you the grace to not quit, in giving you the grace to go on and serve Jesus. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, with prayer and right thinking, he'll give you the peace of mind in the worst of times. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the word that you've given to us. We thank you, Father, that, Lord, your word is sufficient regardless of the day or time that we're in. That, Father, there's always something in your word to meet the need of the day. And certainly, Father, we're living in what many consider the worst of times. Most people living today have never experienced such a thing as a pandemic on a global scale. Yet, Father, this isn't the first time. may never be, not be the last time. But, Father, in spite of it all, you're still in control. And you want to give us peace. You want to give us that peace of mind. So, Father, I ask and pray that through your Spirit, that, Lord, as each of us struggle at times, as each of us come to those places of having crazy, disturbed thoughts, thoughts are running amiss, whatever it may be, that, Father, you'd refocus us back to praying right and thinking right. That you'd get our focus, you'd get our emotions and our thoughts focused on you. Whether it's bringing our request with thanksgiving to you, or whether it's thinking about who you are and what you've done. But Father, I pray that you'd give us the victory over anxiety. Give us peace in the worst of times. Not just to calm us, but that so we can be a light to those living in darkness. We pray in your son's name. Amen.